Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. I'm excited to share this podcast session with you. I know I say that a lot. (laughs) I am excited about sharing the conversation with Ross Gardner. You'll enjoy his Scottish brogue, which he talks about at the end of the podcast, but you really enjoy his passion in talking about how the LA Nightlife Alliance is forming to really work on bringing together people with a genuine love of nightlife, interest and understanding of government, and passion for community organizing to really help build up the nightlife on an equitable basis for Los Angeles. He's going to be taking, and the group's taking, what's happened in Berlin and Amsterdam, London, New York, and bring those same ideas into what could be happening across Los Angeles to be expanding nightlife and expanding community. So please enjoy this podcast and all the things in bringing the creative footprint work and other great energy to changing and expanding Los Angeles. I consider the podcast is the reason or the excuse we met, correct? Yes, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was put in touch. Well, I was, I was, the podcast was first put to my attention by a friend of mine called Megan Burgers, who um, works over at Apple. I believe she's one of the podcast editors. And she sent me a text message being like, you have to listen to this. You need to speak to this lady. So I listened to that podcast and I just immediately went and dug out your, your email address. And I can't, what was this, the specifics of the episode I listened to again? Well, it was actually a, a short piece I had, I had done on the future of music in Los Angeles mm. event, which is coming up February 6th and you're going to be joining us for that lovely event at the bootleg theater and uh, that was what I was talking about is saying hey save the date this is coming out who would like to participate and I think the day after it came out I heard from you which is <laughs> really fun. I, I mean this podcast is fun because it's like putting magnets out in the world that people pass them around and things come back to me but that's been the most direct pass it back to me that was kind of fun that that's uh, that's how we connected because I didn't know about what you were doing and you did not know about what I was doing. So I would love for you to share a little bit about what you're doing and uh, the adventure you're having professionally (laughs) in bringing um, New York to Los Angeles or the idea of what what was done in New York as a thematic way to LA. Can you maybe share what Um, what you what you're doing and how you got drawn into this etc yeah sure i mean like so um, my kind of uh, i guess trade or hard skill um for a number of years was 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 music journalism um i, I ran a, a a couple of um electronic music publications um and along the way i found myself being really drawn and compelled by the stories which i thought were extremely important and important to the to the health of the electronic music community uh those were things like harm reduction drug safety um creating safe spaces out of uh, out of dance floors and clubs uh but also i became very very interested in the battle to keep clubs and music venues open um, and where was this um, well i've been i was based in los angeles at that time you know but I've, I've always kind of worked in a bit of a sort of global capacity uh, that's the one one of the really wonderful things about electronic music is that it, it really is genuinely a global community in the way that i'm not sure that any other music genres really are you know travel is really baked into the culture of the genre so 
quite a lot of people that work in the scene are very connected back to Berlin. They're connected to the hubs in Amsterdam and in London, you know, in New York City and, and, and in some regards, Los Angeles as well. You know, these are these are kind of hubs that, that connect a lot of people together. And we bind together around things like conferences. So things like ADE, which is the Amsterdam dance event, um, uh, IMS Ibiza. You know, these are events where the global electronic music community would really come together to discuss issues which were extremely important to the health vibrancy of the scene. Um, and I got really drawn into um, things about uh, um, the issues regarding club closures. Um, the really big one that happened was at Fabric in, in 2016, which is a club in London, which got shut down um, temporarily. It had, it, it had its license revoked. And that in, initiated a big spark around the world. And that was when I was put in touch with two gentlemen called Lutz Leisenring and Merrick Milan. Now, Lutz is the executive director of the Berlin Club Commission, um, which is a 220-member lobbying organization based in Berlin, which represents the interests of the city's uh, nightlife, um, or sorry, uh, uh, club community. It's a trade association. Um, and uh, Merrick Milan was the current, at that time, nightmare of Amsterdam. Nightmare. I always have to make sure I pronounce that correctly. I know, my that accent, always sounds a little bit wrong. <laughs> with my accent as well, though, you know what I mean? Going about talking about nightmares to people, you know what I mean? It kind of gets them on the back foot a little. But I found those guys and I reached out to them and... Um, I, I connected with them with the pair of them in Amsterdam, and they um, explained. Uh, Lutz explained this project that he had coming up, and I, I wrote an article about him at the time about what the 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 American club scene could learn from the European club scenes, where nightlife activism was was really kind of part of. Um, it, it was really part of the of the nightlife discussion, and it really wasn't happening here in the United States. He introduced me to this project that he was working on called the Creative Footprint, and he built it as being um, the the carbon footprint, but for creativity. So the idea was to try and come up with some kind of way of measuring the the value and impact of music venues in the cities and the communities around them. Now, he wanted to try and expand that. The grand vision is to try and expand it across all culture to make it a pan-cultural um, study. But we decided to start with music venues because it was where everybody's, uh, it was where within that core group, where our strongest connections really lay on a global level. Uh, we first did it in Berlin. We gathered data about 500 and I think two music venues in the city. This is both quantitative and qualitative data. Um, and then we, and that was kind of really just like a test case, like a sort of beta for the, for the methodology. And then we went hard in New York. Um, starting around September of 2017. And uh, we finally launched the project one year later um, with a big kickoff event in uh, September of 2018. And that was kind of the context of, through which we met was really like, I was really drawn towards the work that you were doing at UCLA, gathering data about the, about the live music scene in Los Angeles. We were trying to bring this project, the creative footprint potentially to Los Angeles next. And I was like, okay, well, we all got to get on the same page because we're talking about very, very similar things here. And there's definitely a lot of scope for us to be able to collaborate and, and really, um, try and bring a conversation to Los Angeles, which really isn't happening at the moment. So that was why I originally reached out. Now I want to circle back on a couple of things before we move further. I'm fascinated by what you're doing uh, with uh, the LA Nightlife Alliance, which we'll talk about in a second. But if someone wants to take a look at the work done in Berlin and the work done in New York, where would they find it? And what has been the impact so far? Um, so the impact, uh, you can find it on the creativefootprint.org. Uh, um, I can give you that so you can, so you can share it in the show notes. Um, yep. 
Uh, or you can honestly, I, I think like a really good way for anyone listening to this show, I think because it's largely like a lot of people who are, who are specialized and, and very, very keen on, um, you know, the, the future of music. Uh, I think honestly, a really good place to go is just to reach out directly to Lutz and Merrick and get in touch with them. If you, they're, they're very, very responsive to talking to people. They're very, very interested in connecting and creating a real global, um, community around nightlife. So they'd always be happy to sort of share and explain some of the things they've done. And, and we have like a beautiful report that we published, um, with the help of, uh, Red Bull and, um, uh, the the University of Pennsylvania, and with some help from a PhD student from uh, from Harvard, so that's available to download on the Creative Footprints website. So I would definitely recommend checking that out because it'll give you a thirty thousand foot view and a granular level view on some of the data that we gathered. Uh, in terms of impact, it's a little early to say in New York just yet. Um, like I say, we just launched, the, we just um, released the paper in September of 2018. So that was only like four months ago. Um, it was uh, launched with a corresponding um, event called Night Camp, which um, Lutz and Merrick's organization Vibe Lab um, puts on. And we essentially brought together about 100 stakeholders um, from the city's nightlife community and organized them into like small working dynamic groups, uh, which were very, very focused on getting sort of process oriented um, policy to address some of the key issues which we discovered in gathering the data about the city's nightlife community. For instance, where some of the most at-risk venues were, um, how can you put support networks in place in order to stop those venues from being closed or shut down, either via gentrification or, um, you know, um, inhibiting uh, policy or outdated policy. And and the group came up with, uh, over the course of a day, this group came up with um, 11 uh, sort of um, like foundational uh, policy ideas for ways that the New York City's nightlife um, community could um, become more stable and robust on a grassroots level. And they presented those to Ariel Pallets, who is the um, New York City, I think she's the senior, direct, senior director of nightlife. And she's some, she has a title like that that's definitely not nightmare. <laughs> a very conscious no. decision from the mayor's office not to call it the nightmare. Yeah. Well, I w- let me back up a half a step further. So I ran into the Music City's work that had been done in various cities. and You can count it in the dozens or if not a lot more a couple of years ago through South by Southwest. And I was fascinated by the conversations that also were happening there and then, but we're happening really different in different cities. New York is a city that's been doing work, which is how she ended up having a job, is my understanding. Mm. How does how is how did you find the work that is happening in New York ahead of your work? But also how does the current work differ from the interventions on public policy that have been already happening in cities like New York? Well, there's a, hand, there's a handful of different ways that, that these that these like little kind of, um, that this nightlife movement is picking up pace in different cities. You know, you have like in, in, in um, Berlin, for instance, it's entire, it's an independent trade association, which has a seat in the Chamber of Commerce, which uh, entirely represents the interests of the club scene. And Amsterdam, you had it was partially nightmares. Office of the Nightmare Foundation was was partially funded by the um, by the venue owners and by the club owners, but also partially funded, and that was matched by the city government. So there, you have like a, a duality of responsibility for the office to to basically find compromise. London, it has the 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 um, 
uh, the uh, the office of nightlife in London is is within the mayor's office. So it's very much anchored to the agenda of the existing mayor. And in and in New York, it is uh, within the mayor's office of media and entertainment, which again aligns it with the mayor's priorities of what vibrant nightlife in New York City should look like, which is which is great for um, spotlighting it in an official capacity, giving nightlife a real seat at the table, very important, but it does make it a little bit vulnerable to to political changes and shifts in administrations. But the, New York really came about, it was, a, it was a grassroots movement which really spurred the whole thing and the government responded by um, by creating an office of nightlife in response to a fervent grassroots, grassroots movement that was built up really around like um, trying to remove this like, outdated and institutionally racist um, policy called the cabaret law, which had been in place since the 1930s and was used essentially to try and shut down um, various different venues that didn't have this like cabaret license, which is a license that allowed you to be able to dance in a venue. And there's something ridiculous, like in New York, there was only like, I think it was just a little under a hundred of these licenses were available across the entire city. So only a hundred places that you could dance in New York and everywhere else where there was dancing that didn't have this license, which for the record was prohibitively difficult to get those places were operating illegally. So this was really like a big problem that many groups had come before and tried to sort of, this, this had been a movement that had been happening and bubbling up and down in New York for a number of years. And then this one group, for one reason or another, they were quite savvy with social media. It was just the right time in terms of talking about, there was a very fervent discussion going on about identity politics and things very much happening in the scene in New York. And that just kind of whipped it up. And they, they had this young politician called Raphael Espinal, who was a council at the time, now he's running for, for public advocate in New York. He was just, just the right person to come in and really bridge that gap between the grassroots and City Hall. And I think on the back of that kind of um, that, that kind of mixture of bottom up and then top down made made New York be able to respond very quickly and move fast. Because this took about a year from when that from when the discussion started happening about repealing the cabaret law to um, Mayor Bill de Blasio and uh, Julie Menine from the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment actually announcing that they were going to have um, uh, a, a, an office of nightlife. So that was what that was what made New York, I think, very effective is that it was riding a wave of momentum that had been taking place in other cities, but it had that energy from a grassroots and it had a willingness from from the administration and from City Hall to treat nightlife as a valuable uh, social, cultural, and economic commodity for the city. So that I think, like, there's there's lots of lessons I think that can be learned from the various different ways that the cities around the world have done this. Um, yeah, but some of it has to do with you've had different solutions. Some of them are based in, as you're saying, the mayor's office. Some of them coming from more grassroots directions. Is it the fact that a lot of these areas have not been transparent or nothing's been moving to make the the permitting processes the um, uh, making sure that everyone has a voice the issues of gentrification i mean why now um what is what is the catalyst now that's pushing this all into visibility i think it would be it, it, it would be naive to rule out the current political climate in the united states at the moment for spurring people to get involved and make their voices heard in one way or another uh, particularly uh, again a lot of these discussions come out of the electronic music community and i really again i feel like our our, our scene uh, which which i was obviously an active participant in for a number of years and still am uh, never really gets the credit for being uh 
the the genre of music that spearheaded so many of these um sort of discussions around around people's identity around safe spaces around like like any form of 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 representation that our community really was at the at the cutting edge of this like berlin amsterdam london new york these are all big big dance music cities you know and that's that's where a lot of the discussion came from so i think like there was this there was a groundswell going on around these issues at that time people being i think obviously as well, looking for ways to become involved in the political system. Um, nightlife seemed like a, a, a very good way to, to do that for a lot of people. I think that's certainly my, my access point into it. But I think that the problem that really exists on a governmental level around this is that the, these government departments generally tend to be quite bureaucratic and there generally tends to be um, a number of different departments that are involved in uh, making decisions which are related to nightlife. Nightlife is such a broad um, sort of vast topic that touches so many different things. You know, it touches public health, it touches transportation, it's in, um, you know, zoning. It's like, it's, it's the, the, the Bureau of, um, of, of liquor. And it's like, it's, there's, there's so many different areas that, that have to be brought into consideration that I think it's, it's, it's quite a challenging thing to get your, to, um, to, to actually engage with, but that it's really, it, it's, um, incumbent upon the cities to try and make that process easier to navigate and that's what these offices of nightlife really are they're access points for people who don't necessarily speak the language of government which is the nightlife community this is something american lutz are very fond of saying is that you know the nightlife community and the city government speak totally different languages and the real role of these departments you know offices of nightlife is to mediate that conversation to translate between these two sides, which really don't ever sort of seem to find themselves at the table together. And when they do, they speak in fundamentally different, different terms. Like the city government might, might um, always, will always require data in order to make decisions. The nightlife community tends to talk about culture as being something that's valuable um, in, in, and, and speaks with emotion about these things, but it can be very, very difficult to, to measure the, the, the quantifiable impact of culture. And I think when you bring economics into it, that's another, that's another important, that's another important discussion and conversation. Um, but sometimes that doesn't necessarily tend to be the thing that's of utmost importance to the grassroots community. So it really is like a bit of a balancing act, but there has to be like willingness on both sides. Like a lot of people within the nightlife community recognize that um, cities can be quite difficult to deal with and they can be quite kind of hostile to um, the, some of the events that, that people in amongst the grassroots um, uh, nightlife communities want to, to throw. But at the same time, like the city government needs to recognize that this is an this this can be i mean like you get the statistics for the valuation of um the nightlife um uh, industry in new york city i mean it's 29.1 billion dollars and creates you know 300,000 jobs for the city like london's london's nighttime economy makes up between 5 and 8% depending on how you slice it of the city's entire gdp you know even san francisco it's like 6 billion dollars is what it's worth annually so you know when the city can actually like reckon with that um, and suddenly start to treat this like a like a, a valuable again social economic and cultural commodity. That's when I think the discussion Co starts. Commodity, commodity is a potentially negative term for this. Sure, a unique asset. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes, I would say so. But I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I can understand how that could be, how that could be construed negatively. But I still think that 
I honestly believe speaking in the plainest possible terms and I guess dress, addressing the, the, the city government and essentially saying like this really is something that can that can derive widespread value for for the city for its businesses and and for your constituents as well you know um, but but I think like um, I think there needs to be um, some willingness to come and sit at the table from all different sides and I think you're starting to see that now and and, and the victories in places like New York and and in Amsterdam and in in London are really inspiring a lot lots of people in the grassroots around the world and I, it, it's a very very exciting time to be kind of um, bringing this political conversation to Los Angeles and you can definitely hear that excitement in your voice can you Thank yeah you. it's great <laughs> yeah. Well, so so that. how did what, what I've been fascinated is watching uh, watching grassroots getting started, but it's not started. There's already been things going on, but catalyzing a gathering with intent. Um, I had the privilege to sit in on one of your um, your convenings fairly recently and was really moved by the the means to get a bunch of diverse people with diverse interests um, bringing ideas together to figure out steps and um, and what and to talk about what's really happening in the city. Can you talk about how you how you've chosen to convene the nature of the organization and and what you're trying to do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Los Angeles Nightlife Alliance is an advocacy and organizing coalition that um, aims to represent the interests of the city's nightlife and cultural communities. Um, we're very big on education, research and advocacy, and the overall goals of this organization are to build a safer, more vibrant and equitable nightlife ecosystem for all Angelinos and anybody who visits. So, um, we like to discuss nightlife in um, in very broad terms. We like to think about nightlife culture as um, really any really any culture that that takes place in the city um, after dark. So that's um, like six pm onwards. Um, we are doing our best to try and talk about it in as broad terms as we can. We feel like some of the other organizations and groups that um, have sort of have sprung up in other cities have stayed focused on music or have stayed focused on particular genres or have touched particular scenes. We, we very much want to try and think about nightlife, not just about as, as something for, for music or for clubs or for live music venues, but to think about it as public art, to think about theater. Uh, we um, There's potential to be talking about things like street food restaurants as well at some point down the line, arts festivals. We really want to try and um, discuss this in as broad as possible terms because we really think that nightlife is something that um, all Los Angelinos, all Angelinos sorry, can um, participate in and get something really valuable and meaningful out of. Um, we first started meeting, uh, goodness, about um, a year ago. Um, I had a handful of different people kind of come through me or be referred to me um, uh, and I had sort of had these these individual little meetings and realized like, okay, well, if we're going to do this, we all, you know, we need to kind of um, band together, figure out a, get a bit of a game plan, try and identify some key problems, and then reach out to everybody within our network who we think might be able to bring value to an organization like this. At that point, very amorphous, very nebulous, didn't really have much of a sense of what we were up to. But we had nice roadmaps laid out for us from other cities around the world. Again, very much a, a, a definitely a point to make here very much a benefit for los angeles getting in late into the conversation here is a big 
global city is that we do have roadmaps outlined by other cities who have tackled a lot of these problems before. So best practices and policies which have actually worked in other cities, we can really draw from those ideas and those idea pools, but also that talent pool as well and touch in with those connections. So we really tried to do as much of that as we could. Um, we brought out people who um, work with Metro, the City Hall, or on the Transportation uh, Commission, uh, from Grand Park, from you know, Music Centre, yourself from UCLA. We had people from Wrestles Knights, um, who's one of our core members, um, uh, which is a, uh, an excellent uh, ticketing platform. Uh, we also had um, people from Coro, um, a, f- a fantastic um, uh, public policy sort of accelerator program for gifted young people diverse progressive leaders um you know we have a city planner from claremont we, we really tried to like figure out people who were at that sort of um who who has incredible ex- experience and um, a genuine love of nightlife but also understood how government and community organizing really work so we were always trying to make sure that anybody that kind of came in and participated sort of under understood how groups like this could kind of operate effectively, but also really could speak to um, in an authentic way to a community which we were trying, a community which we were consciously trying to reach. Now that is that is a process that is far from done. It, it has to be said. I mean, the organisation hasn't officially launched yet. We aim to do so. Um, some point in the first quarter of 2019, we're getting very close, uh, but we want to make sure that we're doing so in a way that is. Um, as professional as possible. Um, so we're really taking our time there. But yeah, I mean, like we've, we've always aimed to organize our meetings around um, being like like dynamic workshop sessions. You were, I was very happy that you were able to come along to one of those sessions where we break people up into smaller groups. We really spend a lot of time working on our agendas um, prior to um, going into these meetings. Um, that's our, uh, our choral member, uh, Diana. She is exceptionally good at laying out um, you know, very, very dynamic, fast action, high impact, like sort of group working sessions. So we're really about like trying to extract the most important information out of this group um, and really put it down on paper in a way that, that leads us towards being able to establish, you know, either next steps or potentially policy legislation, et cetera. So um, yeah, we've, we've, we're, I, I think, you know, we've, we've always tried to keep diversity as um, and, and making sure that our group, um, represents the incredible diversity of Los Angeles as much as possible. This is going to be an ongoing process, which I don't think we will ever stop or ever sort of sit back and think we are now sufficiently diverse. You know, let's just <laughs> kick our feet up, you know, and enjoy that and give ourselves a good pat on the back. No, I mean, it's going to require like constantly making sure that we're making the effort to engage people from different scenes, different communities, different parts of the city. Um, We want to try and make sure that it's diverse, not just in terms of people's um, uh, racial background, but also like um, their, their, their age. Um, We want to make sure that from, from people from different economic backgrounds, from different um, educational backgrounds, we've got a lot of people that are not from Los Angeles who are participating in these groups, which I think is, is great. It speaks to, people's willingness to participate in making Los Angeles a better city, which kind of brings a tear to the eye, you know, myself being one of those people. Um, but we've, but we're trying consciously to get more people who understand the 
the context of Los Angeles, the real like kind of history and culture of this, because it's a city that is gentrifying. So it's shape shifting and changing all the time. So, you know, to have people who have been there and have seen that shift and seen that change, seen how it's impacted communities, understand how, how the city is growing and can see that context from a wide timeline is really, really important, you know? So yeah, it's 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 been like such a humbling experience to have so many people come out and really like again like to try and participate in making um, the city a, a genuine, um, you know, a, a genuinely global nightlife city because at the moment it, it 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 frankly really isn't, and that's that's a little that's a little painful to say, but. It, but if I've gathered one thing from the people that we've engaged with and the support from um, the community that knows about this organization so far, uh, the response has been tremendous. And, and people, a lot of people have said that, and that this is a long time coming. So that makes me feel very good about the next months and, and, and years, you know. So part of the challenge is, as, as I'm often told, that we're not one city, we're 91 neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And... Um, with traffic getting worse and worse, oddly in, in part from Uber and Lyft, having more uh, car miles on the road, uh, that actually people not wanting necessarily to go into each other's neighborhoods and communities is one of the elements. How are you looking and you're convening about bringing together pieces of these 91 neighborhoods? Well, that's that's a that's a very good question that I'm not I'm not I'm not sure I entirely have um a, 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 um, a great answer for you on that yet. But it's something that we have discussed as an organization is consciously trying to um, meet up uh, or to to attend um, neighborhood council meetings in um, what we would consider to be. Uh, high density nightlife um, areas that would be for instance uh, Silver Lake Echo Park downtown Los Angeles Hollywood um, but then also Koreatown perhaps Highland Park uh, so once we're actually a fully formed organization where we have a, um, some some clear objectives to be able to really go into those to, to go to those neighborhood council meetings and to um, listen to what some of the concerns are around nightlife um Within those, uh, within those, uh, those various different um, districts of the city, uh, this was something that um, Ariel Pallets in New York did um, to great effect. She did like a listening tour of the five boroughs. Um, she went and did this throughout, I believe, uh, September, October, November, and you know, I think these were quite well attended. People were coming out and really making their voices heard, and 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 letting letting um, her know and her department know where some of the um, where they saw some of the some of the challenges and problems. And I think it would be very very beneficial for us as an organization to consciously make that um, make the attempt to try and touch in with these neighborhood councils um, and try and learn a little bit more about the about the communities that they represent and some of the concerns there because ultimately like we're only really going to be as successful as our ability to to listen I think um, so for us as an organization to be able to go and do that I think would be would be tremendously beneficial uh, before we start trying to talk about um, how much we represent the city and its and its nightlife participants. It's very important that we go out and do some listening. But um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about hosting our meetings in different parts of the city as well. But that, at the moment, because we're we're really um, we're existing on the back of um, borrowed spaces at the moment. Um, you know, we've we've been in Catch One, we've been at the Nation Builder office, um, we've hosted a, um, a grassroots organizing coalition called Ground Game Space in Hollywood. We've been at the Restless Nights headquarters. We've been moving around, you know. And I think once we find a permanent location that we can work out of, that would be that would definitely be quite helpful. But it might also restrict us in terms of our moving around. So, well, isn't that also what Los Angeles is also becoming? 
that with the the pop-up scene and that we have um, nightlife moving around, that that's one of its interesting natures and one of the challenges on anything from permitting to public policy issues. Yeah, you're 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 totally spot on there. I mean, like we often say as a as a, um, our, our, it often comes up in our in our groups that you know we we believe that some of the stuff that's happening in as you say pop up spaces or perhaps I mean are uh, unpermitted spaces because the permitting process in Los Angeles for getting a temporary special event permit is. Whew, Challenging out out of the out of the realm of possibility for 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 the average um, event producer, you know. So we um uh we really believe that 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 some of the most cutting edge um, innovative culture is taking place under the radar in the city, and that presents um, a tremendous opportunity because you have a lot of people who are who are really doing the best. Um, that they can with the limited resources which are available to them, and under the um, under the very difficult uh, clandestine conditions, I think from our perspective, what we want to try and do as an organisation, we recognise that you know the city definitely sees these kinds of um, unpermitted events as being a potential liability. They see them as being um, something that should not take place. Whereas the people in the nightlife community have an inherent distrust of the city government and of, of vice of the police uh, because they're the ones that shut down the venues. So there's definitely going to be a lot of brokering on the on the part of, of the Los Angeles Nightlife Alliance or, or LANA as, we're, as, as, our, as our acronym uh, calls us. Um, basically mediating a gradual conversation back and forth on both sides where we can help the nightlife community who doesn't feel like they can speak um, about some of their problems and raise their concerns to the city government, to vice, to the fire department, etc. We want to be able to speak as a unified voice on their behalf, yet at the same time communicate some of these problems that exist to the city government so that they can gradually begin to understand uh, the inherent value that comes with having a very, very diverse, vibrant nightlife culture and that some of the most um, vibrant, diverse nightlife is taking place in spaces which the city considers to be illicit. So it's going to be a process of speaking to both sides gradually, and I think bringing them closer and closer to the table to the point where the value of both sides is really understood. And I think that's how an organisation like ours can be extremely effective is really by is by by really playing both sides. And I think it, honestly, in such a short time, I'm I'm again so humbled to see that we've managed to bring people out that really understand government, really have connections into the city, have definitely got a willingness um, to open some of those doors and, and and initiate some of those conversations. But to see people on the grassroots scene like really just kind of say, look, this, you know, we need some change here and we need to we need to start moving towards a place where we're really appreciated and valued for the enormous like cultural value that we bring to the city, but unfortunately, the current legislative conditions don't um, allow that to be maximized, realized, uh, thoroughly invested in, or appreciated in a in, in a in a global way. And I think that that is will be a, a true mark of the success of this organization is if we can really bring both of those sides to the table and, re- and make them recognize that there is an enormous value in having a communication and creating the best operating conditions for both sides. I am excited to continue to watch how you guys progress, grow, and 
formalize, systematize, uh, work with the community. So I would love to have you back uh, for a future podcast as you are further along the journey. Anything you'd like to maybe share to wrap up our conversation today? Uh, maybe not to wrap up, but maybe I feel like it's a bit, um, I maybe should go into a little bit more of my background. I always feel like I need to kind of explain a little bit about where I came from because people like just kind of listen to the accent and then they're like. Well, I think that it's a really rich Los Angeles accent. <laughs> I think that's really good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, no, I was was born and raised in Pasadena, of course. Uh, no, I'm from a, I'm from a. So originally, I'm from a small village in the mountains of Scotland um, called Balhulish. It's got about three hundred people in it. I was born and raised there. My family goes back sort of generations there. Um, I, I moved um, to Los Angeles about seven years ago after a stint living in Asia, um, and this was really like the first place that I kind of truly felt at home and felt like I um, was was a was a true participant in the, in the city I'm, a, I'm an avid public transportation user um, I go to a lot of like free cultural events around the city I really use the city and I I really try and like kind of meet as many Angelinos and people that um, are, are in our city as possible um, and, and and that was what really kind of like sort of created the spur to like try and do something to make the city a better place you know but I always feel like it's important to kind of explain a little bit about where I came from as well because there is definitely a big question mark hanging over the head of uh, a wee Highlander thinking that he can speak <laughs> on behalf of the of the nightlife community in a city with you know three or four million people so i feel like it, it i definitely need to make some kind of clarifying statement there but um but yeah i mean like that's you know that i think i've said this earlier on but it speaks you know volumes that we've had so many people come out that are recent uh, transplants to this city that have said you know what this is the place that i want to make my home i want to be here for the next decade for the, i want to be here for the rest of my life i want to do something to participate i love nightlife in the city i see the potential i can see that it's there but there are obstacles or hurdles that need to be overcome in order for it to reach that potential in order for me to go out and get the best night out that i could possibly have in la in the city that i love there needs to be steps done along the way, but it's so humbling to see that different people from around the world are converging in such a global, diverse, dynamic city and are really like taking uh, or shouldering the onus of, of, of trying to make it a better place to be. And if you're somebody out there that is interested in being involved and be, in participating, please reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to get you involved. If you've got skills, talent, if you've got, and even if you've just got energy and time, because honestly, those are some of the most valuable things that we could get right now. Um, we would love to hear from you. And, and So how can people get a hold of you to follow up on this great project? The best way to reach out to, to us if, you, if you'd like to be involved is just um, search for the Los Angeles Nightlife Alliance on Facebook. Reach out to us via direct message. We're always good about getting back in touch. So again, if you're interested and you want to participate and you want to get involved in making the city's nightlife scene um, reach its fullest potential and become a diverse, inclusive and equitable space for all people in this city. Uh, we would love to hear from you. And you're going to be at, um, some people may be listening to this podcast later, but at the February 6th event on the future of music in LA. I can't hosted wait. I'm, I'm so excited, right? This is the thing. Like I, nobody ever asks me to be on panels. 
Like, I hope, <laughs> you know, I'm hoping this could be the start of the, the, start, the start of a change, you know, but uh, the, the panel purgatory mm. having to be on. No, <laughs> no, but people can people can reach out to you otherwise. But we're going to be having um, interviews with various people in L.A. about music that's going to be follow on. We have a research project going on. We have an interactive mapping of city music venues or music venues in the city and across LA County actually that will also be hopefully knock on fiberboard sitting in front of me <laughs> uh, we'll be sharing at that event but we'll be doing work all year long uh, April 11th as a save the date will be an event at UCLA on the future of music and tech in Los Angeles and a few other things we will have sprinkled throughout 2019 but we are excited that that uh, your cohort in crime from Apple Music forwarded you our way, and thanks for, <laughs> thanks for listening there, and um, appreciate it. I also would like to come work on your work or our work, and oh, really yeah. glad to have you on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Look, and I just wanted to say as well, just a final note that just uh, to extend a thank you to to you, Gigi, for having me on here, but also just for being for having that incredible open door sort of policy and. You know, I just reached out to you and then we went out and had like a three hour long coffee date on the Saturday, you know, a few <laughs> coffee days Coffee is meant to be a long conversation. I thought but... it was just wonderful, you know, and we just hit <laughs> off the conversation so fast, throwing different contacts around the place. It was honestly, you, um, you're doing what you're doing wonderful things for the city as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to see, um, the, the. You, the the event that you've got coming up for 2019, I think it's going to be fantastic and a really really valuable thing for for the city and for its for its music community. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places. Or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.